Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at Bloomberg.com. We're going to go now to Tulu Onorupia uh, to give us uh, – he's our White House correspondent – to just give us a little update on the uh, hearings, which will begin. They're both seated, uh, FBI Director James Comey and uh, Admiral Mike Rogers of the National Security Agency. Tulu, uh, I mean, imagine this is going to be a, a quite a, uh, a popular uh, sport watching this happen uh, in Washington today. Yeah, this is a much-awaited hearing uh, we're finally going to hear the FBI director speak on a topic that so many people have been wondering about, speculating about, reporting about for the last several weeks, both the issue of Russian uh, meddling in the election and whether there was any you know, evidence of collusion by the Trump campaign, whether there are any investigations going on into that, as well as this sort of incendiary uh, tweet that went out from the president a couple of weeks ago where he accused his predecessor, Barack Obama, of wiretapping him at Trump Tower. Uh, there has not been any evidence of that, so we'll see if that happens at the at the hearing today. Tulu, what are the sources that you speak to expect to hear from this? Are we just going to hear about the, the sort of uh, state of play of their investigation? Or are we going to hear actual conclusions? Uh, we're we're probably not going to hear much about the investigation. Comey's been a little bit circumspect, circumspect about commenting on ongoing investigations, especially at a public hearing like this. But when it comes to the wiretapping charge, our sources have have been clear that Comey has wanted for for the last couple of weeks to publicly uh, denounce this charge and say that uh, the FBI was not involved in any wiretapping of the Trump campaign. Uh, he hasn't been able to do it up until now. He's been working uh, specifically with Congress members, but now he's going to have a chance to actually say this in public, say that there's no evidence to back up this uh, tweet from the president. And that's what we're expecting to hear from him when he's uh, asked probably multiple times by uh, members of Congress whether or not this actually happened. So what are the implications of that, of that conclusion, of of him publicly denouncing uh, the claim that President Trump tweeted? Are there any implications for that? Well, it will depend on how the Trump administration deals with that, whether they double down on it and and say maybe that it was something that was another type of surveillance, not not that the FBI is not privy to, or whether they admit that this was something that that they had their facts wrong about. But it does seem like something that Democrats are going to use to attack the president and say uh, he's not he's losing his credibility by making these claims that can't be backed up, uh, that he's, you know, following conspiracy theories instead of listening to intelligence. So a lot of it will depend on how the White House uh, reacts, whether they, you know, continue to uh, to stick to their guns and say that they, you know, they still believe this or whether they try to move on and put this behind them. Well, I know that the uh, House Intelligence Committee uh, chair, uh, Representative Devin Nunes, a Republican from California, he is giving uh, opening remarks right now. Uh, James Comey is not unfamiliar with uh, cyber attacks uh, in his role as the director of the FBI. In June of 2015, as you may recall, the U.S. Office of Personnel Management announced it had been hacked. And at the time, uh, he was questioned and said that he believed that 18 million people's records had been hacked in that particular attack. Uh, There is uh, clearly a a sort of thread that runs through all of this having to do with uh, hacking, but also uh, political mischief. 
Yeah, that's that's definitely true. You can expect to hear Republicans uh, sort of wonder and, and sort of press Comey about what the Obama administration was doing while Russia was uh, allegedly meddling in our election via hacking uh, what the uh, what the previous administration was doing to protect the U.S. government and to protect our political system from uh, cyber hacking. And uh, you can expect to hear Republicans make a lot of hay out of the fact that, you know, Russia was even able to do the, hack, the hacking that they were doing without, uh, you know, without political repercussions. Um, that's something that you know, you can expect to hear during the hearing, but I can expect Democrats to uh, to really try to focus much more on this wiretapping charge and uh, and 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 getting the FBI director to separate himself from the president and say the president tweeted out you know this charge against the former former president without any evidence. To Lou, uh, I, I wonder if uh, if Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of the city of New York, will come up because uh, in October uh, last year. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was speaking to Fox News, and he said that there was going to be a surprise or two that you're going to hear about in the next two days. And then we heard the disclosure about the email metadata that contained positive hits uh, for uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, her campaign, and uh, her tenure as Secretary of State. Yeah, that's a good point, and we're we're definitely going to hear uh, Democrats tried to press the FBI director about who's he, who he's looking at, who he's investigating. There are several you know, members of the Trump campaign, uh, associates of the Trump organization, who have some of these sort of uh, mysterious ties to Russia. Um, Rudy Giuliani is one of them. Roger Stone also tweeted out something shortly before Hillary Clinton's campaign manager's uh, emails were, were, were hacked. That they gave a lot of uh, impression that he may have kn- known that this was coming beforehand. So there are a lot of questions about what contacts uh, the Trump campaign and associates of the Trump campaign had with Russia, and those are the types of questions that uh, the director is going to likely be asked. He may uh, try to dodge those questions by saying, you know, this is all part of an ongoing investigation and I can't answer them in a, in a public hearing, but you can definitely expect him to get pressed very hard about that, uh, about whether or not anyone associated with the Trump campaign was connected with Russia, communicating with Russian with the Russian government or with any of the people who were behind this hacking, because that's the major question that we haven't answered just yet. Uh, Tulu, do you have a sense of what investigations are currently ongoing at the FBI? I mean, uh, yes, it's understood that he cannot talk, uh, James Comey cannot talk specifics about investigations, but would the news of any particular investigations be important today? Yeah, that would be that would be incredibly important because uh, to this point we have not been able to verify that there are any investigations, and uh, there's a lot of questions about you know if there are investigations going on, how close they are to uh, the Trump campaign and to Trump associates. Um, there are a number of different people who uh, have been involved in some questionable activity who are also involved in the Trump campaign. Everyone from uh, uh, from Carter Page, who was a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign who went over to Moscow to Roger Stone who had these ties to WikiLeaks right before they started releasing documents that allegedly were hacked by Russia. Um, and, and then you also have political uh, operatives uh, connected with the uh, Trump campaign who also were political or campaign advisors uh, to politicians in Ukraine. Yes, exactly. Paul Manafort is another person who may 
potentially be under investigation. All of these people have been asked to preserve all documents, not destroy any documents by the intelligence committees that are investigating this, because there could be uh, some some investigations into their ties with Russia, uh, Paul Manafort's ties with Ukraine. Um, he was ousted from that position in part because of those links. So there are a lot of different questions that need to be answered, and the FBI director is likely going to uh, be asked whether or not any of these people are being investigated right now. Uh, Admiral Mike Rogers, uh, head of the National Security Agency, is uh, sitting beside uh, Director uh, Comey. Uh, what is he expected uh, to be uh, to be focused on? Well, he's likely to get a lot of the same questions as, you know, he's sits uh, atop a lot of the, the national intelligence uh, agencies. He's going to be asked a lot of the same questions about, uh, you know, who, know, who knew what when about Russian hacking, uh, some more details about what the U.S. government knows about what the uh, Russian government was doing to uh, meddle in our election, as well as, uh, you know, some of the details about the cyber hacking that took place. Um, and, he, you know, while he's up there, he's likely to be asked about wiretapping as well, the, you know, how, how it works and whether or not there's any reason to believe that a former president could even, you know, order up a wiretap of a political campaign. Uh, so those, those are the types of questions that he's, he's likely to be asked. Um, you know, you can expect Democrats and Republicans both to get to try to score political points through this hearing. Uh, Tulu Olorunipa, thank you so much for joining us. Tulu is the White House correspondent for Bloomberg News. While we await the beginning of FBI Director James Comey's testimony, we turn now to some political turmoil overseas. We're talking about Britain in particular, uh, Brexit, and uh, we want to bring in Ian Wishart. He's European government reporter for Bloomberg, coming to us uh, from Brussels. Uh, He wrote a story uh, today talking about how Prime Minister Theresa May will file divorce papers to leave the European Union on March 29th. Uh, Ian, what is the significance of this sort of triggering of... uh, of, of this particular provision? Well, it means that um, the UK from that date will have exactly two years to withdraw from the EU. During those two years, it means that the UK and the EU will have to come to some kind of deal on how the um, Britain will extricate itself from all the laws built up over 40 years, having been a member of that time, and also trying to work out what sort of relationship the UK will have with the EU in future, um, what sort of trading links it will have. Um, So what it means is that there is now clarity. March 29th is the day that Theresa May, the Prime Minister, is going to trigger those negotiations. Um, And it means after talking about it for so long, since last June when the referendum in Britain was held, they can finally start getting down to some work. You know, Ian, as we as we talk about all of what's going on in the U.S., Graham, uh, where the U.S. wouldn't uh, commit to uh, being against protectionism, you, you have to wonder how much the certain political backdrop internationally, particularly with the U.S., is complicating uh, the Brexit negotiations, if at all. How, how are they? There's, all, there's obviously that backdrop. There's there's the this sort of rise of protectionism all around the world um, and the EU is very well aware of that and they're also very well aware of sort of a surge in nationalism and um, populism and they know that Brexit was perhaps an early example of that so 
as part of their negotiations with the with the UK on Brexit, they're also making sure that the other 27 countries that form part of the EU stick together, that there's no fragmentation there, that Brexit doesn't start to divide them as well, or they look towards the UK and see, well, this is quite a good thing to do. So... You've seen that with sort of Theresa May's early meeting with uh, Donald Trump. She wants to um, get close to the U.S. as she withdraws from the EU. So that's all playing in to the negotiations as well. And it will it will mean that the EU wants to drive a hard bargain because they don't want other countries to follow Britain's example. Ian, what's the economic condition of much of the European Union? Are people underestimating the strength of the European Union's economy? I think so, because they look back over the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years and see the, the Eurozone in particular going through a hard time. I mean, growth has been pretty sluggish. Unemployment is very high in some countries, especially youth unemployment. And um, they're thinking, you, you know, can the EU withstand these type of shocks? Well, growth is picking up. Unemployment is going down. Um, things are beginning to look better in Greece. Um, so I think from an economic point of view, they'll think they can withstand Brexit. The, the real question is, can the UK withstand Brexit economically? And there are sort of, although there's been no real shock yet, there are definitely some um, forecasts that growth will be particularly hit over the next two or three years when the penny starts to drop and the UK sees what sort of condition it's left in. Yeah, I'm struck by the fact that the European Union may want Britain, in fact, to not do so well after Brexit, right? Because then it sort of encourages the outliers that might be leading toward a breakaway as well from the European Union, maybe uh, France or maybe Italy. It may make them rethink whether they actually want yeah. to do that, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, almost every leader in the EU has said, you know, the UK will still be our friend. We we want to continue trading happily with the UK, but under no circumstances can the UK be better off. In fact, it must it must it must be worse off when it leaves the EU for the very reason you said, because they don't want to show other countries that actually this is this is a this is a thing you can you can copy. So while they're at pains to say we don't want to punish Britain for leaving, they certainly don't want to make it easy for them. Um, and we'll see that in the course of the negotiations over the next two years on things like trading links, on things like access to the EU's single market where there's no tariffs, um, that they want to drive a hard bargain and they don't want to make the relationship particularly easy after Brexit. So far, though, uh, Britain has actually done better than people expected, correct? Yes, but it's still very early days. Certainly the economic impact hasn't been quite so – there hasn't been a shock as some people thought might happen firstly straight after the referendum result and then when it became clear that the British government was going to trigger what, what we call over here a hard Brexit, which is really severing, severing as many links as possible with the EU. So at the moment, Britain's been okay, but – to be honest, nothing really has changed in that time. It's still a member of the EU and still will be for the next two years. That's the real key time in exactly two years' time when the time comes for the UK to actually leave and make it on its own. And then we might start seeing some impact on the economy then. But, you know, the British government will say, no, actually, we've got everything in place and we're well prepared. And in fact, you know, we can make it on our own. 
Well, not only are uh, the issues related to legal uh, contradictions between the United Kingdom and uh, the European Union, but businesses will have to uh, decide where they're going to invest money. And I noted that, for example, Toyota has just announced uh, that they are investing about 250 to 260 million dollars in its UK manufacturing facility. Uh, is there a reason uh, that the Toyota would be so optimistic about making this investment, given the uncertainty you describe? There's so much unpredictability, but the UK government is is offering reassurances, and it's very definitely true that some companies. But particularly, as you say, the automobile sector is saying, you know, is, is believing those reassurances and we'll see that Britain can still trade with the rest of the world, with the U.S., with China, with much of that. Do those reassurances come with any financial reassurance on the part of the government? The, it's not been it's not been made public. One would expect that that's probably taken place in sort of some of the back rooms, but they've certainly said there is no financial incentive. So we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see what the UK government has said to the car manufacturers about what its future relationship with the EU will be. But again, that all depends on the EU agreeing. You know, Ian, you say that the the Euro still that, that the European Union uh, still includes Britain in it, so we mm. haven't seen the full impact, and yet we have seen a real impact from the depreciation of the pound. And I'm wondering, mm. you know, that seems to have come as a direct result of uh, what happened, right, of, of of the Brexit vote. So, you know, from that, can we glean anything? Very much so. And, you know, that was the shock as soon as the referendum happened, that the pound weakened quite a lot against both the US dollar and the euro. And but what is very, uh, very important to remember is that people in Britain voted for Brexit, not for economic reasons, primarily. You know, it's very easy, you know, when we're working for Bloomberg here to say, you know, but look what it does to the economy, look what it does to investors and manufacturers. But in fact, most people in the UK voted for Brexit for emotional reasons, because they wanted greater sovereignty, more say over the laws that Britain was making. Um, and non-controls on immigration. So people will look at the devaluing of the pound and say, well, actually, it doesn't make a lot of difference. But you're right. It does show what sort of shock this has on the UK economy. And, and it is perhaps an indication of things to come. I want to thank you very much, uh, Ian Wishart, uh, our uh, expert when it comes to Brexit for Bloomberg News reporting from Brussels. Uh, the pound versus the dollar right now, 123.90 uh, to the pound sterling, the dollar at 107 uh, to the euro. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.